Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Process This podcast. This is episode 52. Thanks for joining me. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Mine was good. I had some good food, some much needed rest. It was almost perfect, except for my boys, the Cowboys, America's favorite football team, lost the traditional Thanksgiving Day game to the stinking Raiders. Well, no offense to the Raiders fans out there, but as far as the Raiders go, you either love them or you hate them. And since I'm a Dallas fan, and a former resident of Denver, I'm obligated by association to dislike the Raiders. Well, besides that, we have a great show for you today. We're bringing back some segments that have been on hiatus. Like we haven't seen them for a while, but they're coming back. We have What's On My Mind. We have the segment Mailbox Mania on the show. But before we dive into those, let's talk about some association news. Some things that are happening or have happened some things you might be interested in. So, so here's some music to kick us off and get us going today. Well, there's always something going on at Isham. So if you're not connected, I recommend that you create a free account or become a Nisha member so that you can basically tap in to all the offerings that Isham has for you. For example, uh, you should be getting the insights email, which is information specifically for the Isham community, has all kinds of great information, especially if you're on the go. Uh, along with that, there's also the up to speed. Now this is a monthly digest of upcoming sterile processing education and products for your department. Helps you keep up to speed with the most innovative ways to increase departmental efficiency and education. Some other useful resources are the process publication, which is probably one of my favorite, uh, mainly because it's got so much great information available for you to access. And then of course, there's always this podcast. So uh, first of all, thanks for listening. Um, I'm going to do a shameless plug here. So if you haven't had the opportunity to listen to, check out the Last 100 Yards podcast series, man, it's a great series. It's a series on packaging specifically geared toward what happens to packaging once it hits the shipping dock at your facility. So it hits that shipping dock and then the last 100 yards, you know, uh, shipping dock till it's a septic opening of that uh, package. Now, this is a unique podcast series, and that's because we have access to manufacturers, vendors, packaging engineers, and users like you all discussing what happens in the life of your package. So one of the highlights for me was really the ability to listen to each person's perspective. For example, 
Uh, does the packaging engineer understand what happens to a package once we get our hands on it, right? What happens to that when we, uh, that package or that item uh, once we have control over it? So it's really, uh, really eye-opening to see how everybody views that sterile package. I really enjoyed working with all the players involved in that series. So if you haven't checked them out yet, uh, you still can. They're open uh, anytime you want to, anytime you have time. The series starts with episode number 44 of the process of this podcast, and it goes into episode number 46. So you have the first three, and then there's a break, and then it picks back up again uh, with episode 49 through 51. So another three. So a total of six podcasts in this series, and each of those are worth uh, one hour CE credit. All right, so there's my shameless plug. Uh, some things I thought you might find interesting. First, if you don't know, if you've been hiding under that rock, uh, you know, the people have spoken. And when the calendar flips to January 2022, the association will officially transition from the International Association of Healthcare Central Service Material Management, we all know it as ISHM, to the Healthcare Sterile Processing Association, HSPA. So along with a more concise new name that more clearly identifies the profession our association serves, we will also be unveiling the new logo. Uh, it's gonna be rolled out uh, through all the publications, resources, you're gonna see it on the marketing material and much more. You know, it's really an exciting era for the association. I'm super excited about this and I hope you are. And there will be more to come again when that calendar flips this year. We've all been really kind of adapting uh, to COVID and you know, things just seem to change back and forth, you know, and it's really to our benefit just to be flexible. But uh, I bring this up because we didn't have that in-person conference again this year. And, you know, at, at the in-person conference is really when, you know, you see those the awards uh, being handed out. So there are 2021 award winners and new fellows. You know, normally these folks are recognized during the conference. They come up um, and, you know, it's we get to congratulate them. But so I want to take a minute on the show to congratulate these folks. I think they deserve it. So bear with me here and uh, give me a few minutes and just roll with me here. Uh, so the Confidence Builder Award goes to, and this is this is the part where I, I really need some sort of sound bite for a drum roll, but here we go. Here's my, my uh, poor attempt at a drum roll. So Confidence Builder Award goes to St. Luke's Hospital Sterile Processing Department, Chesterfield, Missouri. So congratulations to everyone at St. Luke's Hospital, SPD in Chesterfield, Missouri, or for some of those folks out there, Chesterfield, Missouri. Right, so congratulations guys for that Confidence Builder Award. So next is the Technician Achievement Award. Now this award uh, goes to Janet Voss, a sterile processing tech at Idaho Surgery Center in Caldwell, Idaho. Well done, Janet. Congrats to you on this achievement. And then next we have the CS Leadership Award. And I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Mohammed, so please forgive me. But Mohammed Sayer Haji. 
Now, Mohammed is the manager at an SSD in Saudi Arabia. And again, I can't pronounce where he's from, so forgive me, uh, Mohammed, but congratulations. That's exciting for you. Uh, good job. And then last, we have the Decontaminator of the Year Award. And the Decontaminator of the Year Award goes to Kelly Kincaid. So Kelly Kincaid uh, works for the Syracuse Veterans Hospital Administration Medical Center in Syracuse, New York. Congrats to you, Kelly. Nice job. Well done. All right. And then the last three awards we have uh, are the chapter awards. Uh, we have three awards given in this category to the large, medium, small chapters. So the large chapter award goes to the California Central Service Association. Medium chapter goes to the Northeast Ohio Central Service Association. And then the small chapter to the Western Wisconsin chapter of Isham. Congrats to all of you. You know, uh, being in a chapter, running a chapter, you know, it's hard work. Uh, so it's really exciting. Uh, you've, you've earned these awards. And so, uh, you know, congratulations to all of our individual winners and our chapter winners and our facilities. So uh, thank you guys. Hey, you know what? Uh, do you know somebody who deserves to be recognized? Or maybe you need to be recognized? Well, guess what? Uh, following uh, those awards, the nominations for the next year, the nominations for these uh, prestigious awards are now open. So I encourage you, after you listen to this podcast, go out and nominate somebody or nominate yourself, right? So you can view the awards and the criteria and can take a moment to nominate, again, yourself, somebody else you think is really deserving of this profession. The award recipients will be recognized during the 2022 Annual Conference and Expo in San Antonio, Texas. Now, the deadline for submission is January 31st, 2022. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that the 2022 uh, awards will be the HSPA awards. So uh, those awards are listed uh, on the website and they are the Confidence Builder Award, CS Leadership Award, the Decontaminator of the Year Award, Golden Slipper Award for Service Excellence, Technician Achievement Award. So, you know, really... Uh, don't waste time. Don't wait till January 31st. Go ahead and nominate either yourself or someone else you know who really deserves this uh, today. And then next on the docket, we have the Isham Fellowship Committee. All right. So we have four new fellows this year. So the Isham Fellowship Committee is pleased to announce the addition of the four new fellows for 2021. So each of the four new uh, individuals have achieved the fellowship, the FCS status by demonstrating knowledge, commitment, and professional advancement in sterile processing in the sterile processing profession and submitted a well-researched paper on topics that were pertinent to the sterile processing discipline. This is a great award. Uh, congratulations to all the folks coming up here. What's really exciting is the abbreviated versions of each of the research papers that the new fellows presented will be published in the Process Magazine, Process Publication, throughout 2022. So uh, each new magazine, you can look in there and you should be able to find these research papers. So again, congratulations to our fellows. Uh, they are as follows, and we'll go with ladies first. So we have Dolores O'Connell. And Dolores is the Senior Clinical Education Specialist at Steris Corporation. And her research paper was Aligning the reprocessing of dental instrumentation 
with the ANSI AMI ST79 standards. All right, and then our next fellow is Brenda Jan Prudent. Now she is the sterile processing manager at Eastern Ohio Regional Medical Center. And her research paper is Raising the Bar by Centralizing. And then next we have Sharon Rojo, clinical educator coordinator for Healthmark Industries. Now his research paper was Inspection and Integrity Testing of Insulated Instruments, Concerns for Failure and New Guidelines for Testing. And then last but not least, we have Tony Thurman. Now Tony is the Central Service Manager for Dayton Children's Hospital. And his research topic was developing an in-house instrument repair department. So again, congratulations to all of you for your hard work and your dedication to our profession. And last in the news, there was a tremendous win for our members in Missouri. Our members can now proudly display their CRCST credentials in Missouri without hesitation. After some time, the request for an official opinion from the Attorney General's office to interpret a current statute has resulted in confirmation that individuals who have obtained the title registered, like CRCST, the RN registered, in conjunction with a private certification may continue to do so in Missouri without hesitation. Now this is great news. So for more information on this legislation, you can read the legislator update in the process publication by Joe Kalachi. So nice work, Joe. I know you and those folks in Missouri have worked hard on this. Well, that's all I have for you today, but this is certainly not all there is from Isham. There's a lot more news, a lot more things going on at Isham. Check out those resources I discussed earlier. You can always check out the website. There's always information on there. Just be on the lookout for, for that information in your email, things like that. So, so that's it today on the Association News Front. Now it's time for the segment, What's On My Mind. So we just had that series on packaging and what happens in the last 100 yards. You know, I just talked about it just a few minutes ago. As I thought about this, as I thought about the series uh, after it was completed, you know, I started thinking about, uh, you know, who touches the packaging after it's sterilized and prior to being aseptically opened on the sterile field in the operating room. Well, I was thinking about sterile processing folks. Well, that's a given. You know, we handle that. We sterilize it. Uh, we do lots of things with it. So we're in the mix. And then there's their surgical technicians. Of course, there's operating room nurses. And, you know, some folks have uh, like perioperative assistants, you know, those folks who help out that uh, they're part of the perioperative services. Well, as I continued down this path of thinking about folks and thinking about who's touching which packages, you know, where and when, you know, I started thinking about the environmental service folks, the EVS, those folks who are responsible 
for cleaning operating rooms, procedure rooms. Uh, most likely you're probably more familiar with you know, your sterile storage area and your supplies. Most folks mentioned previously, like your surgical technicians, your nurses, your sterile processing folks, they all work with sterile items either in sterile processing or the operating room. And, you know, we all, as part of our process, we undergo some sort of training, you know, and usually that training is followed up by competencies, you know, really so we demonstrate that we know how, we know what we're doing, we know our job, we know how to handle uh, those packaging. But, you know, I started thinking about what kind of training and what kind of competencies do the folks from EVS receive? You know, are, are they exposed to the principles of event-related sterility that we are? If there was a situation in which they needed to move a sterile item to clean, whether it's on a shelf or in a bin, or simply just cleaning the flat surfaces, would they know if the item had been compromised? I guess my question, would they recognize if or when an event in that event-related sterility, if an event had occurred, would they recognize if that affected the sterility of the item, essentially? So I guess one of my questions is, should EVS personnel assigned to these areas undergo that training and competencies specifically designed to teach event-related sterility? So something to think about, does your facility have a policy? Do they address this concern? You know, I, th I think back when I was a manager, you know, and I can't, I can't ever remember doing anything like this. This wasn't really something that I thought about, to be honest. And I think, uh, you know, when I kind of think about it, it was always because EVS was kind of on that third shift. You know, it was out of sight, out of mind. I knew they were cleaning, high dusting, and, uh, you know, the trash cans were emptied. So I knew that they were there. I knew they were doing a job, and they did have a checklist. But, you know, when it comes to sterile packaging, were they cleaning around it? Were they picking it up, cleaning under it? You know, those, those are questions that I didn't ask. So, uh, you know, what is your EVS? What is their process? Should EVS uh, folks that are signed in your area have training and competencies centered around event-related sterility? You know, if so, then who is going to be responsible for this type of training? You know, so maybe this is something to think about. Maybe this is something that uh, maybe you should get with your uh, operating room leadership and kind of think about, you know, uh, who's going to do this training, right? So who, who's going to keep that continuity of care ongoing? So just something to think about. So that's going to do it for this segment of What's On My Mind. All right, well, welcome to Mailbox Mania. You know, we haven't had this segment on in quite some time. I don't really remember the last time we did this one. So if you are unfamiliar with Mailbox Mania, you're newer to the show, uh, let me do some explaining here. You may not always have the time or the energy to read everything you get in the mail. I, I feel like I don't sometimes, and I get quite a bit of stuff. Uh, so what I'm going to do, what this segment is about, is I'm going to help you, or I'm going to help you out and review some interesting articles from different publications for you. All right. So if you hear something interesting when I do these reviews, if you if something applies to you, 
then, you know, when you have time, you can go back and you can read the article or the publication in its entirety. So pick something out that sounds good, that applies to you, uh, something that uh, you do at your work. So today we are going to review, again, uh, my favorite publication, the Process Publication by Isham, soon to be HSPA. So these articles come from the November-December 2021 issue that's out right now. All right, the first article we're going to look at is titled Quality Approach to Training and Competency Verification in Flexible Endoscope Processing. Now, the learning objectives for this article are discuss the need for standardization in practices and policies when starting or revamping an endoscope education program. And then number two, review the need for a well-organized, rigorous training and competency verification program for endoscope processing and the equipment involved. And then three, discuss why good documentation practices are essential to the overall quality of a training and competency program. So the article reads, flexible endoscopes are potentially the most challenging devices to process on the market today. And I'll go ahead and agree with that because these devices are fragile in nature and complex in design and require a robust staff training and competency verification program to deliver that quality of cleaning and disinfection outcomes, right? So gotta have the training, gotta have competencies to deliver the outcomes that we want. For a facility's training and competency program to be successful, we must dedicate sufficient time to all staff involved. Spending time on the initial planning and training, verifying knowledge required to process flexible endoscopes effectively, and documenting activities will pay dividends in quality in the quality of the endoscope processing procedures. So the article starts off with an interesting scenario. So here we have the sterile processing department covering duties for an endo lab. So after hours and emergency procedures, they're covering for the endo lab. Now, I think the question here is, do both departments have the same steps in their policy and their procedures for processing the endoscope? Are the competency verification processes for the endolab the same as the sterile processing department? Are there different levels of care depending on who is processing the device and which department? So very interesting scenario, interesting questions that have been asked. If this has sparked some sort of interest with you, uh, if you um, process endoscopes or if you are in this scenario, the backup for an endolab or something like that, or if you've centralized, you know, interesting article, you might want to read it in full. And the name of that article, again, is Quality Approach to Training and Competency Verification in Flexible Endoscope Processing. All right, our next article, and this is a great one if you're a new leader, and it's uh, titled From Colleague to New Leader, Managing Relationships After a Promotion. So that's a good one. So the objectives here, determine how to establish one's leadership role through engagement, Describe methods to promote consistent and fair treatment. And then identify how to manage colleagues and friends most effectively. So again, if you're a new leader and you've just, you know, you just you went from a technician to a leader, either supervisor, team leader, manager, great article. 
And so it reads, congratulations, all your hard work has finally paid off and you have been promoted to that supervisor or manager. Although you are likely elated by the news, your inner voice may be starting to doubt your abilities and questioning, how am I going to do this? What will my former teammates say to me? Will they even listen to me? Will they allow me to lead them when I used to be a part of their group? Put simply, how will I manage my friends? So thinking about all the improvements one wants to make as a new leader is exciting, but before implementing any changes, it is essential to first focus on what it means to become a supervisor, a manager, a leader, essentially, especially over people who have known you for years in that non-leadership role. Perhaps there's a longtime friend who's ready to support, defend, and do whatever it takes for you to succeed, or there may be some former teammates who consider you to be lucky or even disapprove that you were appointed as their new leader. Whatever the case, it's important to recognize the uncertainty of the department. Addressing it is the first step to becoming an effective leader. Pay attention to those established relationships and be aware that there may be some who are feeling resentment or even anger that they were not chosen for the job. You know, you really want to make the effort to treat all staff members equally, regardless of personal feelings or history with them. You know, it's important to remain polite and instill some sense of a teamwork, all the while maintaining a healthy personal distance with staff. This, however, does not mean a new leader should be become distant or unconcerned with staff members' feelings or needs. To the contrary, it's important to treat people as you did previously and carry that positive approach into the day-to-day -day management style. By doing this, you will help demonstrate that although you are now in a leadership position, you remain the same person you've always been. Now, the article also speaks to some helpful boundaries, and here are a few of those. Ensure that work and home discussions are kept separate. Avoid discussions about personal plans during work hours and agree not to share departmental information. So some good advice. And then the author also says uh, that leaders should never assume they know everything. They should directly ask employees to express their needs and concerns. For example, uh, round on your employees, see what's going on with your employees, and here's some things you can say. You know, what frustrates you about your job? Where do you see the department going? What are your expectations of me in this leadership position? So some great information in this article, especially if you are a new leader or if you are considering becoming a new leader. All right, moving on to our next article. Uh, the next article talks about something we've all heard of, but may not know the exact reasoning behind. Now this article is titled, Why Surgical Instrument Grade is Important. So we know in the operating room, the OR, you know, they use high quality surgical instruments. It's critical, a critical factor in providing safe patient care and protecting the facility's surgical instrument inventory investment, right? So surgical instruments must be able to function accurately and safely throughout a surgical procedure, and they also must be able to withstand that repeated reprocessing and sterilization. Now the article goes on and has these objectives. Define surgical instrument grades, understand how surgical instruments are made and manufactured, and then determine how to optimize instrument selection for one's facility. So a great article, great information on surgical grade. 
Now the last article for you today is titled Sterilization Cycle and Loading Optimization. So the objectives for this article describe the role of each saturated steam sterilization cycle phase to deliver medical devices that are both sterile and dry. The second one explain the impact different metallic and non-metallic instruments used in medical devices and sterile barriers have on cycle performance. And then last, identify available resources to optimize the sterilization cycle. And our last article reads, Saturated steam sterilization is a common choice for sterilizing medical devices. The sterilant is obtained by vaporizing water. Its use and control are generally perceived as simple. There are only two general requirements to be met, inactivation of microorganisms and a dry load at the end of the cycle. Now, the evolution of medical device manufacturing techniques has allowed the use of non-metallic materials in device construction, thereby expanding their application in healthcare areas. These new products largely become available without additional research to determine how to correctly sterilize them using saturated steam sterilization. This lesson addresses how to optimize a cycle using current resources until new evidence is produced to support updates in standards and guidelines to improve the cycle standardization and control. Again, an interesting article, and if this one interests you, I recommend you reading the full publication in the Process Magazine, November, December, 2021. So with that, that's all I have for you today in this segment of Mailbox Mania. Well, we're about out of time for the show today. Thank you guys for hanging in there and sticking with me. Process This Podcasters, episode 52 is in the books. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information in the new learning center, and select the code Raider Hater. Again, the code for this episode is Raider Hater. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, and we'll see you next time.